Well, hello, good evening. Um, I think we can just leave now because that last song just took my whole talk. So, if you don't know, we've been in big questions about God. My name is Riley Brown. I am the intern here at Christ Church Lake Forest. Been here since May, been loving it so far. I'm originally from Indiana. My dad and brothers are in the back, so if you're wondering why there's random copy and paste of me in the back, that is why um, they're visiting. Glad they're here. Um, just super excited here to be here and teach tonight. About a few weeks ago, Babby reached out. A few weeks ago is longer than that, maybe a month or two. And he goes, hey, October 29th, big questions about God. You want to teach? Like, sure, what am I teaching on? Whatever you want, okay? October 29th, that's two days away from my favorite holiday, Reformation Day. I, get, I guess you guys, there we go. Thank you, Rich. Yeah, I guess you guys may not be celebrating that. Um, as Babby said in an early shig, that I am sort of a Bible nerd, theology nerd, so that may come out a little bit tonight. But I also do love a movie very dearly. It's a particular movie. And before I even talk about that movie, I just want to ask you guys a question that you guys can think about for tonight. What do you think about? What do you dream about when, you, when you're in school and you're dozing off or when you have nothing else to do? What are you thinking about? What are you dreaming about? What's, what's going through your head? Maybe later when you start to tune me out, where does your mind go? What are you thinking about? My movie character, my favorite movie character, hold on, let me, let me get the jacket off and the vest off. It's a little warm in here. Favorite movie character, <laughs> Lightning McQueen. Can, can I get a ka-chow? Yeah, so favorite movie character, Lightning McQueen. I've probably watched the movie three times the past week, prepping, like getting ready, what else to do? Yeah, favorite movie. But what I love in particular about that movie is the character development of Lightning. In the beginning, the opening scene, Lightning, like I said, where, where do your thoughts go? What do you, what do you think about? Lightning has, has his eyes closed. They're at a race. One winner, 42 losers. I eat losers for breakfast. Breakfast, what I have for breakfast? I should eat breakfast. Quicker than quick, faster than fast, I am speed. And then cuts, they start racing. He, he's concerned with one thing and one thing only. One, well, I guess it's two that picture itself in one thing. But it's himself and his meaning and worth is coming from his dependence on his status of a piston cup. He has the first opportunity to be the first rookie to win a Piston Cup, and that's the first race, and we know that he blows a tire on the last lap because he was being prideful and arrogant, and he goes in and ties, so the tie forces a three-way race in California between Chick Hicks and Strip Weathers, and we just see this arrogant, prideful Lightning McQueen who only thinks about himself right after the, after the race, they're having a press conference, Lightning, what do you think about not having your crew chief there? I don't need a crew chief. I'm a one-man show. Lightning, Lightning's obsessed with himself. He's living for himself, 
seen going only for a piston cup, and that's what matters. He gets stranded in Radiator Springs, where he deems hillbilly hell, and a lot of things happen, but you see the transformation that happens. Mainly, you see how it plays out in the end, but mainly in his conversations with, in his time in Radiator Springs, he sees that, okay, maybe life isn't all about himself. He realizes Hudson Hornet is Doc and that he's actually a race car and has something valuable to offer. Mater's just not a rusty old car that's damaging his image. He realizes that Sally's not just a beautiful girl, but she has like value to offer him and helping him. And through Radiator Springs, he realizes that life isn't only about himself. He goes over and sees the valley and sees the beauty that is in Radiator Springs and what Radiator Springs used to be. I would love to see this place in its heyday. And that's what he makes his goal for the next few days before he has to get to his race. Cleans up the road, fixes it, brings it back to its heyday, helps everybody in the town, and then ultimately we get to the end and he's in his finals race, he's leading, and then Chick Hicks is ticked off because he's lost to Strip Weathers his whole career and then crashes into Strip. Strip Weathers, Strip Weathers goes flying in his last race, his last chance to win the Piston Cup. And Lightning realizes this, stops on the brakes, goes back, helps Strip Weathers to finish the race because he realizes that it's just an empty Piston Cup. He said, an old man told me once, it's just an empty Piston Cup. It's an empty cup. The transformation of Lightning McQueen is something that we can learn from. And it's at the beginning of the movie, we can probably identify with him in some ways. We can, we can see that we often are concerned with only ourselves and living for ourselves. So, realize we've gotten this far. What's your question, Riley? What, what are you answering? Why should I live for God? Because that's, that's a question we ask ourselves a lot. If we're being honest, why should I live for God? And it's a question that needs to be answered every day. It's a decision that needs to be made every day. And I'd like to suggest that first, we don't live for God. And I want to stop and say, this living for idea is something abstract. What, is, what do you mean living for something? Like we can see Lightning McQueen lives for the Piston Cup. That's what he dreams about. It's what he loves. It's what he thinks about when he dozes off. He is living for himself, for his own fulfillment, his own happiness in himself, which obviously he realizes there is no um, good coming from that. But I want to say simply, to live for something is to love something. To live for something is to love something. So you can evaluate that in your own lives. You can see it in Lightning McQueen's life. What you love determines what you will live for, or who you love determines what you will live for. And to answer the question of why we don't live for God. It's because we're often we're living for ourselves and we truly don't believe, if we're being completely honest, we don't believe that Jesus is really real when it comes down to it. Yeah, my, my friend, I can, 
I can see him, I can touch him, I can feel him. Jesus, guy in the Bible, what impact does it have on my life? Was he, was he really real? If so, what impact does that have on my life? Now, when we get to the text in 1 John chapter 4, we have an audience asking the same question. We have people doubting 50, 60 years after the life of Jesus. What is Jesus coming to earth and dwelling among us? What does that have to do with my day-to-day life? Why does that matter? And what, what does that mean for me? So we're going to look at 1 John 4 to answer why we should live for God. And at this point, I'm going to pause, pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, we are totally dependent on you. You are our only good and our highest good. Help us to behold you, to look to you, the God, perfect image of God, sustainer and provider of all good things. And as, as we speak about you and as we listen about you, quicken our minds to think more like you and, and quicken our hearts to love you more and quicken our hands to help others more. Father, I ask that as the word goes out, it will not return void because that is what you promise. And I pray that we would be convinced that we should live for you after tonight. Amen. So that's, that's my goal for tonight, to convince you that you should live for God. I hope so. If I'm answering, why should I live for God? I hope that's my goal. But I hope you understand that and realize why we should live for God. So we're gonna, we already looked at why we don't live for God. We're going to look at what Jesus, there are three ways God has loved us, and then three ways we can live for God. And the main point of the message is just going to be, we ought to live for God, and we're going to see this in the text, because God has loved us by living for us, dying for us, and rising for us. We ought to live for God because God lived, died, and rose for us. Okay, so First John 4, if you have your Bibles, go there. If not, open your phone Bibles to go to 1 John 4. And like I said, this audience was struggling 50, 60 years after Jesus came. What does is, what is Jesus coming to earth have to do with me? How does that affect my daily life? What benefit is it? And there's huge themes of love and of just Christian life. It's basic Christianity and what does that look like? And of course, John 13, 34, and by this you will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the summation of the Christian walk is love. But when we get to 1 John chapter 4 in verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, I'll explain that later, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
So real quick, three ways God has loved us. First, his life. Jesus came to this earth. We're going to be celebrating this, the Christmas season. That's what it's all about. It's that Jesus, it's called in theology, the incarnation, that Jesus became human. He became man and he became Emmanuel, God with us. Verse nine says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Because God has become human and lived with us and walked among us, we ought to live for him. And we know when Jesus came, we know he is the perfect man, never sinned. He's spotless, as Mike talked about this morning. Jesus is the perfect man. And Jesus, what he said about his coming to earth is that he, the son of man came not to, serve, not to be served. He didn't come to be Lightning McQueen and everybody serves him. But he came to serve everybody else. And when we get to John 17, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he's in the garden praying and he says, glorify me as I have glorified you. This whole time Jesus is on earth, his 33 years here on earth, he is living for other people. There's not one time Jesus was living solely for himself. We ought to live for others. The second way God has loved us is in his death. We talked about that this morning. We talk about it every single time because this is the climax of God's love for us, that he sent his only son to die for us. Verse 10 says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, for we know we were the ones that crucified him in Jerusalem. We were the ones that wanted him dead, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Real quick, propitiation. Doubt you've used that in the past week or month in your vocabulary. Propitiation. All that means is that God, through Jesus, Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God and paid the price of sin on our behalf. Mike talked about the guilty or the innocent third party that could pay for the price of the guilty party. This is what propitiation means. That because Jesus has died, he died in our place as man, fulfilling our end of the covenant and saying, they're good. My blood is sufficient and they are now righteous because of me. God's wrath, because he is righteous and just, is satisfied in Jesus' death. So God's love is most evident in the cross. And then the third way God has loved us in the resurrection. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John is saying in this, in this verse, in verse 10 or 11, if, this is this, the supposition that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 15. He's talking about the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, Jesus is what matters. If it's true. If not, go ahead. Have fun. Do whatever you want. Live for yourself. Live for the piston cup. Live for the best grades, the best college, the best money, money, the most money, the best car, the best house, 
the most status, whatever makes you happy. But if the resurrection is true, none of that matters. So now that we've seen three ways God has loved us, we're going to take a look at three areas we can live for God. And this, this first one's where you spend most of your time. It is school. For your leaders in here, work. School, work. How can we live for God at school? I'd suggest that the main way you can live for God at school and at work, whatever it is, is by living well. So I've got three W's here and they're gonna go along with the points. But by living well, what does that mean? Does it mean I have to have a 4.0 in order to live for God in school? By no means. I would be the first to be condemned. I, I was a bad student. I, I just don't like doing homework. I don't like doing homework, bad grades because of that. However, in order to live for God, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That includes schoolwork. That includes sports. Not saying you have to be the best, but I'm saying you give effort and live for the glory of God because you are not living for yourselves, but for God who loved you. Second, relationships. And this is not simply, not, not only dating relationships, by no means. This is broad relationships in general. Friendships, father, son, parent, kid. Friendships, teammates, any interaction with people. Relationships. What's the W for here? Wholesome. We can live for God in our relationships by being wholesome. And the question that I want to pose to, that we can ask ourselves to say, am I living for God? You can ask yourself this. Am I living a life, or in my relationships, am I being selfish or am I being selfless? Now remember, Jesus came to earth not for himself, to live for himself, but to live for others. He came for others. We Philippians 2 tells us to have this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2 tells us that. And I just want to quick highlight an example of this. In your relationships, how to be wholesome, how to be selfless and not selfish. And I want to point out Luke Babby. Luke Babby is excellent at this. He, when you get older, you, and you get married, you have in-laws. And sometimes they're not always easy. Not, I don't know how they are for Babby, but a lot of times I know that there are things that we would rather do. Maybe, Babby's a busy guy. He's a very busy guy. And maybe he just wants to go home and take a nap. But this guy loves his wife and loves his wife's family. And they, they will, he will sacrifice his own wants and desires and needs in order 
to be selfless, to show the love of Jesus in his relationships by putting down his own desires and saying, no, Jess, I love you. No, Jess's family, I love you. So that's a question we can ask ourselves. Am I being selfish or self Selfish or selfless in my relationships. And we can do that by being wholesome. Philippians 4 tells us, or is it Philippians 2? One of them. Um, what it, finally, brothers, Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, whatever is commendable, think on such things or live in such ways. We can live for God by being wholesome in our relationships. And the last area I want to look at is what many of you are on now and where we spend all of our free time, technology. And it doesn't get talked about. We can live for God through technology by worship. There's a quote by a poet in the 17th century. His name's William Blake. He says, we become what we behold. We become what we behold. For Lightning McQueen, that was the Piston Cup, a race car. I am the best race car. I am the fastest race car. Maybe for you, it's your grades. I am the best student. I am getting into the best college. I am the best athlete. I spend all my time thinking and living for athletics. Whatever it may be, what you become is what you behold. Technology, where I want to go with this, a lot of the times when we're on it, it's just right in front of our face. It, by nature, is excluding people. Now, you say, well, I'm talking to people on my technology and whatever. Whatever you say. That's not real relationships. Yes, they fostered real relationships. and don't. I'm not saying technology is all bad. But I am saying that when we are focused on technology and social media and things that are algorithmically designed to serve us, we start to worship ourselves. We start to worship what we like. We start to worship only ourselves at the expense of others. It is by nature selfish. Because a lot of times we could do a social experiment and I could say we're gathering all the phones and we're just going to put them up here or stay here for an hour, half of you wouldn't know what to do. It's just the reality of it. It's, it's just a part of our culture. I'm not saying, I'm not blaming you for that. Hear me out. I am not blaming you guys for that. It's the culture you live in, culture I live in. But it is designed to serve us and to make more life more about ourselves than the others that are right next to us. So the question I have is, what are you beholding? What are you beholding? Is it a piston cup? Probably not. Is it grades? Is it schools for the future? Is it being a good boyfriend, good girlfriend. I don't know what it is for each of you, but we are all beholding something. And in order to live for God and to love God, 
we must behold him who loved us by living with us. For John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ came to be with us, to be right next to us, to go rub shoulders with people, to cry with people, to celebrate with people, but ultimately to save people. His life, death, and resurrection show us that life is not for ourselves and life is worth living for God because only in Christ are your deepest desires satisfied. Nothing else in this world can satisfy our hearts. Here's, here's my Bible nerd coming out. Augustine, third or fourth century theologian, writes Confessions of St. Augustine. In his opening line, he says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Saying that what you're striving for are all found in Christ. The love you're looking for, the value you're looking for, everything you're looking for is found only in Christ. It can't be satisfied by anything of this world because everything in this world leads to death. Only Christ can save. And then when Christ saves, we can live for him and live for others by loving him and others. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So that's the challenge for today. Actually, I'll close out with this one illustration. So I'm from Indiana. Not just from like Cornfield, Indiana, but yes, Cornfield, Indiana. There are a bunch of Amish where I live. And you guys might not even know what Amish are, who they are, what they do. Very simple people. Very simple people. Most of them get around by buggy. They have their little carriage. They have a horse. Maybe you've seen it in a Hallmark movie or something. But I, when Amber came to visit me the first time in Indiana, she, she was like, no way, they're actually real? I'm like, yes, they're real. By the way, they have the best donuts as well. They make the best food. Anyways, all that to say, these buggies, you, you drive by them on the road, they have these blinders. They have these blinders, which prevent them from looking this way and that. The point being, if the horse is going to get distracted, the buggy's going to go off the road. A lot of us need some blinders in our life. And maybe you could say, this is Peter in the boat looking to Jesus. We need to focus our gaze on Jesus because he is the image of God. In order to live for others and to live for God, we have to put the blinders on and focus on Jesus. So in small groups tonight, we're gonna talk about how we can do that. How, how we can focus on Jesus to then live for others and not ourselves. I'm gonna pray.